Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. Tonight, the civilian objects shot out of the sky. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation, or research institutions. U.S. President Joe Biden says the three objects shot down over Canadian and American airspace last weekend weren't Chinese spying devices. So did politicians on both sides of the border overreact? Former, former rather, Deputy Commander of NORAD and Chief of Defense Staff General Tom Lawson is here in moments. Then, do ethics matter? Why is treating taxpayers' money with respect never the lessons these Liberals learn? Two dozen investigations and five years later, does outgoing ethics watchdog Mario Dion think politicians take their ethics breaches seriously? We'll ask Mr. Dion coming up. Plus, we are live in the Bahamas. As the Prime Minister wraps up meetings with Caribbean leaders, he's set to take questions from reporters, including about why he ordered an object shot down. Joe Biden now says wasn't tied to China. We're going to bring you to that press conference live as soon as it happens. But first... We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. U.S. President Joe Biden there making his first extensive remarks following the downing of three unidentified objects last weekend. Turns out they're likely not from China and they're likely not foreign surveillance devices. Here's a reminder of exactly what happened, the sequence of events. Nearly two weeks ago, on February 4th, the U.S. shot down a balloon over the coast of the Carolinas that it does believe to be a Chinese surveillance device after it had already flown over Canada. But then last Friday, an object was down off the Alaskan coast. Then on Saturday, the Prime Minister ordered NORAD take down another object over central Yukon. And the last one was shot down by NORAD over Lake Huron Sunday. The RCMP just announced that it has suspended the search for debris on Lake Huron. Let's get some more perspective now from all of these new developments from General Tom Lawson. He's the former Chief of Defense Staff for the Canadian Armed Forces and former Deputy Commander of NORAD. General Lawson is now the President of Thomas J. Lawson and Associates. Hi, General. Good to see you. Thank you very much for making the time. Thanks, Fashi. How significant is it from your perspective that these three latest objects the President says now uh, the U.S. does not believe are tied to China? Yeah, I don't think actually hugely significant. Um, you know, the, the politicians were being uh, very moderate in their rhetoric regarding who owned objects two through four. I think first and foremost, uh, the first balloon uh, responsibility was taken by the Chinese for that. And uh, more and more indication is it was a spy balloon. And it has alerted the Western world, certainly, uh, U.S. and Canada uh, to the, this program that we really didn't know anything about before. There was very little cost to taking down two, three, and four. And and, and I certainly have some questions about the, the original balloon and, and uh, the Chinese aspect to that. But I, I do want to ask about these three other objects because having served in the, the uh, in the capacity of former deputy commander, deputy commander rather of NORAD, um, you know what is entailed in making a decision to shoot down objects. I think for uh, Canadians and Americans who watched that happen over over last weekend, it was substantial. It was uh, to take you know something we took note of that things were being shot out of the sky. Uh, do you think that decision, in retrospect, made sense? 
Well, certainly, uh, and you're talking about objects two through four. The first balloon, it really Correct, does yes. make sense to bring that down before it goes away. Yes. But for the other three, um, you know, it's a much different thing. This was down in the uh, troposphere where most of our air traffic is. So right away, you have everything you need to take it down if you believe it is a threat to civil aviation. Now, whether or not they're going to continue to do that with um, uh, floating junk uh, through airways uh, as they see it in the coming months and years, uh, we'll have to find out. But the reason to take it down is there. Whether or not the expense was uh, entirely justified, uh, that will be part of the forensics going ahead. Do you think, based on the facts available to you at this moment, that there was some political context around that decision, given the blowback President Biden got for waiting as long as he did with the Chinese balloon? Yeah, I think so. In fact, uh, it is conceivable that if um, uh, person number one in Montana hadn't looked up and seen this balloon up at 60,000 feet, um, the gig may never have been up, and this would have sailed up and perhaps out of North American airspace. It turns out uh, NORAD was well aware of this balloon floating in uh, days and weeks before it actually made it to uh, continental North America. So after that, it became counter-espionage until it became clear to the average American and Canadian that something's up there and we don't like it. And with objects two, three, and four, though, do you think that there was, um, you know, a, a, a sort of desire on the part of politicians to appear as though they were, you know, taking action immediately in light of the criticism that Biden got with that first one? Yeah, I think so. So the precedent was set with the first one. Two, three, and four, um, you know, there's a little bit of concern that it may be tied to the same program. Don't really know. Now, more and more, it looks like these are North American provenance. They were uh, they were launched from probably within North America. Uh, so, uh, you know, the idea of taking them down now does not look as uh, strongly required. However, the precedent has been set and NORAD uh, has taken these balloons out uh, as the elected officials have uh, required of them. And they've stated something loud and clear uh, to China, and that is uh, any of your balloons anywhere in the world uh, stomping on territory of sovereign countries, uh, it's not okay. You're going to have to take that into your calculus. Do you think that message delivered through shooting down the first balloon was, and not to, not to make it a pun, but was deflated at all now that we know that the three subsequent objects were, you know, likely not from China, not surveillance instruments? No, I don't think so. I think China probably was wondering, too. They were doing a lot of uh, soul-searching and uh, checking the papers to see what other balloons did we lose out that we've lost control of. Uh, they're going to be somewhat relieved to hear that these weren't there. Everybody was being very circumspect in uh, giving them responsibility for that anyway. Uh, but the point is there. Uh, North Americans largely haven't cared too much about China's activities in the South China Sea and uh, threatening Taiwan, South Korea, Japan. It just wasn't close enough to North America. But all of these things are kind of part of the clumsy way China's growing into superpower status. And then with one balloon, the first balloon, um, everybody in, in Canada and, uh, and the United States, North America, is aware of the nefarious activities that China may be involved in. And I think it may affect their calculus if indeed they're looking to warm relationships with the Western world and with democracies around the world for trade. 
Yeah, my goodness, how complicated it gets. I, I'll note also President Biden said that he plans to speak with President Xi of China, so we'll, uh, we'll stay on top of that one. Thanks very much, General Lawson. Appreciate your analysis, as always. Pleasure. Thanks, Ashley. Retired General Tom Lawson was, of course, the Chief of Defense Staff for the Canadian Armed Forces and former Deputy Commander of NORAD. The front bench is standing by a little later in on the program. They are going to talk about the fallout from President Biden's announcement today. Former Premiers Kathleen Wynne, Christy Clark and Daryl Dexter will be here with me a bit later. And the Prime Minister, as we speak, is wrapping up meetings in the Bahamas with Caribbean leaders. Dominating the agenda there, what Canada can do or will do to support the Haitian government's opposition to gang-fueled violence. Let's get the latest from CTV senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor. He's with the Prime Minister on the ground in the Bahamas. Hey, Glenn, good to see you. I know we're standing by to, to hear from the Prime Minister. He's going to take questions from right. reporters. What do you have your eyes on in that press conference? Yeah, he's running a little bit late. Some of the bilateral meetings he's been having this afternoon with other Caribbean leaders have sort of stretched on a bit longer than expected. Uh, I'm watching for him to explain his decision not to do more to help Haiti right now. As we know, the country is in a state of chaos. Uh, criminal violent gangs are in control of large parts of the capital, Port-au-Prince. Uh, hundreds and thousands of last year of homicides, sexual assaults, uh, there's been kidnappings. Now having, because of the, uh, the security situation is, is now transforming into a health situation. They're having cholera outbreaks, if you can believe it. It's a really bad situation. Uh, and Canada wants to help uh, and today announced that it's going to contribute to uh, HMCS, uh, two Canadian Navy ships to patrol uh, uh, off the coast of Haiti, uh, two Kingston-class uh, vessels, uh, but not going to put any more troops on the ground. We're already providing surveillance aircraft, and we provided the, the national police in Haiti with some armored vehicles, uh, but that's about it. Uh, and it seems like this is a step that the Trudeau government does not want to take. It doesn't want, does not want to put either Canadian forces or Canadian police at risk by putting them into what, Vashi, is a very dangerous situation. Yeah, I imagine the the level of danger is one part of the calculation. Another part, yeah. I, you know, I was just speaking with General Tom Lawson when he was CDS. I remember talking to him about how stretched the resources of the armed forces yeah. is, is. Is that part of what what goes into the factor uh, goes into rather the consideration about what Canada is prepared to do here? That's a question we're going to put to the Prime Minister uh, in about an hour's time when he holds his press conference because, yeah, that appears to be a consideration. As you know, his Canadians deployed uh, in Latvia, a, a large contingent there, uh, elsewhere around the world. Uh, so it's, it's a question of, of bodies uh, and also uh, equipment. Uh, but Trudeau insists this is a major priority for him. He recognizes how desperate the situation is. Today he met with the acting president of Haiti, Ariel Henry, uh, and assured him that Canada was going to do whatever it can to help. But I think he's going to leave NASA here uh, causing some disappointment. I think there was an expectation that Canada would take on a greater role, a more of a leadership role. Instead, the message from the prime minister today, also from Bob Ray, the ambassador of the United Nations last night, was that it's not Canada's job to solve Haiti's problem, uh, that the solution has to come from within Haiti. Uh, and if Canada was to send in troops to help improve the security situation, it wouldn't be what Ray calls a durable response. That is, once they leave, things would kind of fall back to the way they were before. That may or may not be true, but for people in Haiti who are in very dire straits right now, uh, probably not a lot of comfort they're getting from this message.
All right, thanks a lot, Glenn. We'll stay tuned for that press conference and your question to the Prime Minister. The CTV senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor in the Bahamas traveling there with the PM. Coming up after a short break tonight on Power Play, is there an ethics problem on Parliament Hill? Outgoing ethics, ethics watchdog Mario Dion is here next, and I'm going to ask him. We're back in just a moment. Stay right there. The Prime Minister's own lawbreaking is so bad that the Ethics Commissioner has had to call him out, saying he didn't think anybody would have imagined a situation where the Prime Minister himself would be found breaking the law. Quote, it's a funny situation to be in. We need to make sure that Canadians have trust in our system, that they have trust in the political process, and they have trust in politicians. So um, I say that, I, I would say that the, the act is important and that confidence that Canadians have in our political system is critical. Do ethics matter? It's a question for Parliament's ethics watchdog who's leaving the post after five years. During that time, he's found multiple instances of ministers and MPs breaching ethics rules, even the Prime Minister himself, and more than once. But the steepest fine he can levy for those breaches is about $500. Mario Dion is the outgoing ethics commissioner, and he's here to talk about that. Hi, Mr. Dion. Good to see you, and thank you for making the time. Good afternoon, actually. Uh, look, there are a number of recent polls and trust barometers that, that sort of uh, quantify a, a feeling that I think many people who watch politics have, which is that the public's confidence in politicians has certainly been decreasing rather than increasing. I'm wonder if, wondering rather if you think ethics breaches have something to do with that. It's most probably a factor, one of the several factors that plays into it. But uh, yes, I, it's, we've had the... Uh, a significant regular flow of uh, negative reports, and it, uh, it, it's probably playing a role. Are you surprised at all to the degree which that flow is regular? Uh, it's, be, it's been like that since the act was passed. You know, we're talking about four reports a year. That's not great. You know, we have 3,000 people who are governed by the act, and we have four, uh, four reports a year which are adverse. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not excessive, but uh, any report is too much so far as the public is concerned. Based on your experience and, and the reports that you've conducted during your time in office, do ethics breaches happen because politicians think they're above the rule or above the law, or is it because they're just not aware enough of them or understand them? I would say the latter. Generally speaking, the latter. Uh, I'm quite convinced, although there may have been a situation or two where uh, it appeared that it was a conscious decision to take a chance. Basically. We all do that sometimes, you know? not in ethical matters necessarily, but, you know, crossing the street when the when the light is about to, to change. And so you, you make a strategic decision sometimes to proceed with something, even though you might suspect it's not OK. Uh, but by and large, ignorance, in, inability to identify a situation. Uh, where a conflict of interest will arise. That's the, that's the key, essentially. Being able to see one when you see one. Being able to tell one, sorry, when you see one. So is it a matter, I, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, is it a matter of um, not seeing it because you don't understand what the rules are? Or I feel like it's, in some people will listen to that question and think, but how do you not just know, right? How do you not just know helping out your friend when you're in a position of power probably isn't a good idea? Yeah, it depends on the situation. The speed of things, I think, is part of the explanation as well. In some situations, you know, we have, you know, some ministers sign hundreds of contracts each month. Uh, it's possible that, you know, they're, 
in some offices they use the arm and it's possible that maybe they'll use the arm not knowing that the person is a, the minister's friend it, anything is possible you know speed of things is a, is one factor as well uh, the volume with which cabinet ministers uh, are dealing on a, on a, on a monthly basis daily basis is, is such that it's possible that an error will occur you know, as well do, do you think that um, ministers in particular are uh, taking the, the possibility of these breaches seriously enough? I, I think they, uh, yes, they are, but they fail to do the recommendation I made to, uh, in the, the last report I tabled uh, was to, uh, to make mandatory training of a few hours upon appointment as minister or parliamentary secretary. I think the office could, within three or four hours, give an overview which would assist any minister, parliamentary secretary, to uh, have a much better global understanding of what's required under the Conflict of Interest Act, instead of focusing on a single little type of situation. That's what they currently do. They focus on, uh, you know, a gift. I'm being offered something. Is it accessible? Uh, acceptable? Sorry. Uh, there is this uh, this contract involving my husband and so on, but you have to have an overall appreciation for what's required of you under the Conflict of Interest Act, and very few people take the time to take the training we're offering. So you think it should be mandatory? I think so. And, and have you had any... Small, small investment to right. prevent a lot of problems, basically, was, and a further erosion of public confidence as well. Was there a positive reception from, from the federal government to that recommendation? Have you, have you had any conversations to that effect? No, I haven't. Thought, I have not heard anything except the uh, gov government leader in the House said that uh, it will be examined. When it comes to the, the consequences of breaching the act, for example, your, your predecessor had highlighted uh, what, what she would characterize. I remember her characterizing as, uh, you know, penalties that were perhaps not stiff enough that didn't act uh, as a, a form of deterrence. We can, no, nobody resigns, right? There's no. Uh, big consequence other than that penalty so far. There could be consequences in an election, but but so far there really haven't been. Uh, do, do you think the penalties need to increase, or, or what do you think will contribute to that idea of deterrence? I think a better... Uh a better effort uh, to uh, to be made to to uh, for the the prime minister the, the way the act works the prime minister gets my report i express the view that the act has been breached and the act is clear the prime minister then has to assess the impact of the situation uh, it's a condition of employment respecting the act is a condition of employment so the employer must decide whether something needs to happen by way of punishment so and there's been no feedback to me uh, ever about the the, uh, the consequences so we've all assumed there was no consequence because we haven't heard about any consequence so i think that's where the key resides you know assessing each case deciding uh, whether mr fergus whether something needs to be done vis-a-vis -vis mr fergus if not saying so you know having some some accountability loop whereby we find out what's happened to minister ing maybe something has happened to minister ing and we don't even know about it but is that a problem that we don't? I mean, again, circling back to my first question, where there has been, to a degree, an erosion of trust uh, from the public to politicians, there, there is no real transparency around this. We know what your decision is, for example, and what fine you can levy. But beyond that, there's like resign or not and all this gray area in between that's very opaque. It's, it's like confidence in the justice system. You know, you, you do know what the, sen the sentence imposed to anybody who's been accused of anything it will be. Uh, you can always find out what the sentence is. Even if there is an absolute discharge, you still find out about it. So, so that's 
the problem here we don't we don't know what happens uh, no one tries to find out what happens unless it's obvious of course if the person is uh, demoted or if something obvious happens but nothing obvious has happened in any of the cases I've dealt with in those five years and is that frustrating no because I've learned to you know I'm, my role is to uh, investigate objectively <laughs> come to a conclusion and uh, it's somebody else's role to decide the consequences I can live with that the uh, but I, I care about the erosion in public confidence, however, which is a different matter. Yeah, that's that, that's that's essentially what what I meant. I did want to ask you just one final thing because the um, the prime minister was asked about uh, you know some ethics breaches of his ministers as well as his own by my colleague Omar Sachedina in an interview at the end of last year, and he said that we have a system uh, that has the kind of accountability and transparency that works, and that is clear to reassure Canadians that if someone is taking advantage of the system, either deliberately or by accident, they'll get caught and ca called out on it and that's an example of the institutions working now from my perspective it sucks because you don't want people to be making mistakes you want people to be able to focus on delivering good things for canadians essentially what exists right now the prime minister is arguing is in and of itself enough accountability do, do you think that's true i don't agree with the prime minister but i'm not the prime minister what does it tell you that he thinks that it is I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've tried to think about. It. I, I frankly don't understand what he's trying to say. We uh, we we may be on different wavelengths, you know, when we talk about these matters. Uh, the former commissioner said that Mr. Trudeau had a blind spot for ethical issues, as you might recall. Do you think that's true? I was uh, could be part of the explanation. Who knows? I don't know. Do you think that's true? No, I don't think it's true anymore. It may have been true six years ago. I think there's been some significant efforts on the part of the prime minister and the ministers as well to uh, put in place what needs to be looked at to avoid problems. So they've done they've done a lot compared to I think what it was initially when I uh, became the commissioner. Uh, so I, they do understand the importance of following the rules governing ethics, uh, but the, they've made errors successively. Several of them have made errors. You know. Uh, 14 reports altogether where we blame the, an MP or a minister uh, for uh, breaching the act or the code governing the conduct of members of parliament. So uh, mistakes keep being made in spite of efforts. Mr. Dion, I will leave it there. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon, sir, and, and best wishes in your future endeavors. It was a pleasure as well to you. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Outgoing Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion there. The front bench panel of former premiers is still ahead. We're going to talk about those uh, objects shot out of the sky as well as uh, a host of other subjects, including the uh, emergencies, uh, the invocation of the Emergencies Act and the report into whether or not that was justified. It's coming out tomorrow. The premiers will weigh in on that. Up next, though, a roundup of the political stories you need to know about today. Stay tuned for the list. Welcome back to Power Play on this Thursday evening. Time for the list, a roundup of what's happening in politics today. We will now begin the process of recruiting the next commissioner of the RCMP, one that I am very much looking forward to, as is the government. And we will search out somebody uh, who re reflects the best values and capabilities and skills and who is committed to continuing to reform this institution and maintain the confidence of all Canadians. 
Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino there launching the process to replace outgoing RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky. Lucky, who was the first female commissioner of the National Police Force, announced her retirement this week. She's been the subject of controversy, criticism, and even calls to resign over the force's response to systemic racism, the traffic, no, tragic rather, Nova Scotia shooting, and the so-called Freedom Convoy. Her last day on the job will be March 17th. Toronto Mayor John Tory's final hours on the job. Here's the mayor in his office bright and early this morning reading the paper with the story of his own resignation on the cover. Five full days after announcing his intention to resign over an affair with a staffer, the mayor submitted his official resignation papers last night after the city's budget was finalized. In his resignation letter, the outgoing mayor says, while I have let many people, including myself, down in this instance, I have been nonetheless deeply honored by the opportunity to serve the people of this wonderful city for more than eight years, and I hope I achieve some good for the city I truly love. John Tory will officially be off the clock tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Our assessment right now is, it is it's time to pause and assess whether we've raised interest rates enough. Um, if our own forecast, if inflation comes in line with our own forecast, yes, we've probably done enough. But there are certainly upside risks to that forecast. And if we, do, if we need to do more, we will. The Bank of Canada signaled an interest rate pause last month, but Governor Tiff Macklem warned MPs at the House Finance Committee today that it could raise rates again if the rate of inflation does not abate. Just this week, the U.S. posted new data that shows inflation is sticking, spooking the stock market with fears of future rate hikes. And the latest Nanos research, research polling shows healthcare has soared ahead of all other issues as a top issue for Canadians right now, to the benefit of the governing Liberals who closed a gap with the Tories in the last month. According to the polling, here are top, the top five issues for Canadians right now. The blue bar shows responses from January 13th. The red bar shows responses from February 10th, just after that federal provincial health care meeting. Health care, as you can see, dominates as the top issue by a lot. Inflation concerns fell just slightly to more than 12 percent. And jobs and the economy are sitting at just over 11 percent. And a federally commissioned audit has found Hockey Canada did not use government funding to settle sexual assault cases. Sport Minister Pascal Senonge called for the review after reports last summer that the organization had settled a $3.55 million lawsuit. At that time, she also froze federal funding to the organization, which equaled about 6% of their overall annual cash flow. Up next, we are going to turn to a developing story. The commission looking into the Fed's invocation of the Federal Emergencies Act is going to release its final report tomorrow. What's at stake politically? Our front bench panel of former premiers. There they are, Christy Clark, Kathleen Wynne, and Daryl Dexter. They'll weigh in on that question next. As part of the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act, um, we initiated the public inquiry. Um, I testified along with many other colleagues uh, before Judge Rouleau, and we're very eager to receive the final report, take whatever lessons that we can from it, work with the, the public commission to implement them and strengthen the relationship between Canadians and their institutions so that we can keep everybody safe. 
did the Prime Minister need to invoke the Emergencies Act to stop the convoy, the so-called Freedom Convoy? That is, of course, the big question that politicians and Canadians could finally get answered when uh, Justice Paul Rouleau's much-anticipated re report is released tomorrow. I want to find out what our front bench panel of former premiers is watching for when that release, when that rather report is released. Let's bring them in now. Uh, joining me this evening, former BC Premier Christy Clark. She's now a senior advisor at Bennett Jones. Former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne. She's now a professor at the University of Toronto's Victoria College. And former Nova Scotia Premier uh, Daryl Dexter. He's now vice chair of Global Public Affairs. Hi, everybody. Great to see you this evening. Uh, Daryl, I'm going to start with you. I think there's sort of a, a political way to look at that question and then also from a policy perspective. I want to start off on the politics. Do, do you think, do, you know, I'm not sure how extreme anything is going to be presented tomorrow, but, but do you think what comes of tomorrow will ultimately sway public sentiment around the federal government's actions here one way or the other? Or do you think those sentiments are kind of baked in by this point? Yeah, I think by and large, I think they are baked in. And I think... Um, you know, if you if you try to uh, think back to that point in time, uh, there was tremendous frustration, not just by those people who were affected in and around uh, Ottawa or, or the other parts of the country, but just kind of generally this feeling that uh, people, you know, have a right to, to feel safe and secure in their own communities. And um, that wasn't happening. And the, I think people felt you know, something did have to, to have to happen. Now, whether or not the, the the kind of tests under the Emergency Act were actually met, um, we'll we'll see when the report comes out uh, tomorrow. Uh, but I but I I really believe um, that you know it, it to to some extent this does show kind of the divide in the country. I think if you were kind of a a center left on the political spectrum, you probably agree with um, the uh, actions of the of the government. And if you're on the center right, you, you probably disagree with it. But uh, I, I think uh, I think the large majority of, uh, of Canadians felt something just just had to have uh, had to happen. And, uh, you know, this was the best tool available for the government at the time. Yeah, I guess what I'm wondering, Christy, is even if, for example, they come out tomorrow and say the legal threshold was not met, I think there are certainly big policy consequences. And, and in most circumstances, there would probably be a lot of political consequences to that, too. But given the way it all unfolded and, and sort of that it took three weeks for, for it to actually stop, do, do you think that the political implications will be muted at all? Or do you think there's a chance that the liberals could, could be impacted by this? I think you're on mute. <laughs> there we go. There Rookie we go. Mistake. <laughs> Pre-pandemic mistake. It's all good. <laughs> um, I, 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 think, I agree with Daryl. I do think that it will be um, muted because people have kind of people have moved on. The federal government got the thing done and over with. And I think what's kind of the inconvenience and the sense of crisis is in the past. People's opinions about these, these things kind of soften. I do think, though, that um, from a policy perspective, the government is likely to have its wrist slapped for some... I mean, there's no doubt they overreached in this. I mean, interfering in people's ability to, you know, access their bank accounts and things like that. That was way, way overreaching. They weren't. They didn't do a perfect job, but I can tell you, um, when politicians, when leaders are in the midst of a crisis, they don't always get it right. So, I think what the report will show us probably 
is where they got it right, where they got it wrong. They got a lot wrong. They got the thing done, though, and out of the way, eventually. And I think people have sort of moved on. So I think the political impact from it will be, as you say, Vashi, muted. Your sense of that, Kathleen, and, and then also on the policy question, I think I think there will be stuff that comes out that says, okay, the, the, the threshold here, X, Y, and Z, was not met. Um, is it incumbent on the government to change the, 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 the law basically going forward or, or, or look to, I guess, reflect whatever the, the justice says? Yeah, well, I think the, the report will be received on a bunch of levels, Fashi. I think that um, the general public will... I think react the way Daryl and um, Christy have said that you know they they've moved on. Um, there was a confluence of events that meant that something had to happen. Um, there it wasn't you know it wasn't getting done and it needed to get done and so um, that's where uh, that's where Trudeau's government had to had to act. But I think they're going to be as the minister said they're going to be lessons from this. I mean that's why this is an important process. And I I worry that the um, it's not just about the federal government, it's the coordination of all of the responses that I think really broke down. That's my opinion. I will see what the report says. But I think there was a lack of communication and a lack of coordination from which we have to learn. And whether that means changing legislation, whether it means changing um, communication avenues, I don't know. But those things have to be taken as lessons from uh, from the report that comes out. But I don't think I don't think this this is going to have a huge impact on the government. I think pe most people, I think there's polling that shows that most people believe that something had to be done. I wonder, sort of on the converse, Daryl, if uh, usually like, if we're talking about the economy, it's advantage Pierre Polyev. If we're talking about the convoy, it's disadvantage Pierre Polyev. Uh, he has sort of navigated his way uh, through it in, to, to some degree, but I'm wondering if you think this is, I mean, it's a Friday, so we traditionally, it's, uh, that's where you dump some news, but, <laughs> but if it stays in the news cycle for a while, is that still to his detriment? Yeah, I, no, I don't think, uh, like I say, I think people, and uh, as as was uh, noted by Christy, I think people just kind of generally have moved on uh, from this. And I think that works both ways, both for the government and for the opposition. I, I think very much that the, at this point, there's lots of other meat out there for the opposition to be digging in on. And this one doesn't necessarily uh, kind of meet the bar uh, in terms of, you know, scoring any kind of real political points. I think the, the, the key that everyone acknowledges here is that there was a system failure of some kind that was taking place at the time that needed to be addressed. And the nitty-gritty of all of the, how that happened, uh, at this point, I don't think people really care about. It, it did get resolved. Um, yes, there will be some lessons that were learned. Um, that's why the legislation requires there to be an inquiry kind of after the fact to look back at these things. Um, that process uh, it was wise to put that process in place originally. It's going to take place. Some lessons will be learned. And I think just generally, whether it's for the opposition or the government, people will now move on. Just, just a quick um, point to jump off of both Kathleen and, and Daryl's and last word to you, uh, Christy. Even if people move on, I think Kathleen's point is a good one in that there was a lot that came to light here about what didn't work, um, from mm -hmm. policing to uh, communication between levels of government, like some pretty 
serious stuff that if there were to be a crisis in the future and things kind of carried on status quo could be to all Canadians detriment. I know people have moved on. Does that mean the pressure is off though those institutions to rectify some of the glaring, uh, you know, uh, kind of the, the, the glaring uh, failures on their part? Well, I think um, yes and no to that. The pressure will be, should be felt whether or not they're capable of actually fixing any of these problems while they're busy, you know, actually doing all the rest of the stuff that they do every day in law enforcement is yet to be determined. We still have a new RCMP commissioner about to be named. The RCMP has really struggled to be accountable and to meet, I think, the highest uh, levels of, of standards in policing in the last few years. So I don't know that they're actually going to be able to fix any of this stuff. I will just finish with this, Silvashi. The report is really important because even though if people have moved on, as citizens, we should be intimately concerned about government taking away our freedoms in a society that we regard as one of the freest in the world. And I, you know, I think that governments, the way the government overreached on this, using a sledgehammer when they could have used something much lighter to try and resolve the problem, is something that really does deserve scrutiny. And I hope the report gets a lot of, does garner some, some more discussion than any of us are so far appearing to expect. Well, hopefully, yeah. Their, their contention is obviously that's the that was the sledgehammer available to them. But but yeah, we'll look to see what tomorrow uh, what tomorrow's report brings us. I'm going to take a quick break. The front bench is sticking around. We're going to talk about uh, Joe Biden's, I guess, remarks today about those objects shot out of the sky over North American airspace and the fallout from those remarks. Christy, Kathleen, and Daryl are sticking around. We're back in just a moment. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. U.S. President Joe Biden there making his first extended set of remarks uh, since three objects at the time unidentified were shot out of the sky over North American airspace last weekend. As you heard there, President Biden says that they are not tied to China and they are not surveillance uh, balloons uh, like the first one that was shot down almost two weeks ago now over the Carolinas. Let's bring back the front bench panel to talk about some of the potential fallout. From that proclaimant today, Christy Clark, Kathleen Wynn, and Daryl Dexter are here. Kathleen, um, do you think there will be, I guess, any fallout from the fact that these three objects were shot down uh, by, you know, by, for, for the first time, I should say, on Saturday by NORAD, uh, and now are determined not to be uh, what the first one was, which was clearly a, a Chinese surveillance balloon? Well, first of all, I think fallout is an interesting term for <laughs> things falling from the sky which is too cheeky scary. yeah <laughs> yeah i um you know vashi i think that what this whole um uh, th these episodes demonstrate is a huge gap in our understanding of what's in the sky and what the rules should or shouldn't be and biden talked about that you know he talked about updating rules and upgrading responses and trying to make sure that there was some kind of global conversation about this i just think there's a huge void in terms of our understanding of how to deal with things floating around in the sky either watching us or not 
you know. So I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be fallout. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting in the news. Sometimes it's like a, it's like a sidebar and there's kind of a humorous aspect to it. But I think, you know, this is a very serious matter. We need to know what these objects are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, that, I think it's going to be a catalyst to a conversation about how we actually take the, the space above our world more seriously. Yeah, I, th I think Kathleen makes a great point about sort of the, the, the way in which it was viewed, uh, Christy. This, I, I think because it was called a balloon at first, the, the mm -hmm. surveillance balloon, like just the term itself made people kind of think, oh, maybe this is a big deal. It's the size of three school buses, and it was floating <laughs> over Canada and the United States for all, yeah. almost a week. Like, that's not, and it had, you know, high-resolution cameras, and floating over the U.S., the Pentagon says, uh, military uh, sites in the United States with classified, you know, secure information, with high-level high information. So, so it's not a small thing. And then even though this third, the second set of objects now weren't surveillance, they were shot out of the sky by NORAD for the first, also a pretty serious thing. Yeah, and I was so surprised that the guys at NORAD for the, you know, said, well, we didn't know if we should shoot this Chinese, what turned out to be the Chinese surveillance uh, balloon uh, down because we didn't really have a policy to deal with it. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, Kathleen's right. We, I think there is a lot of work to do in, in the uh, defense community understanding what's going to get shut down and what's not. I mean, I feel sorry for the scientist or the meteorologist who probably had their balloons shot down because there, but there are two balloons going off every day to monitor the weather around the world in 900 different locations. So there is just tons of this stuff um, all around the earth. Um, I think for the most part, we know what they are, but um, I do think this has really shown us we need to figure out at a, the military need to figure out how to deal with the stuff that's really relevant to keep our, our country secure. Uh, Daryl, the nature of the speculation around the second set of objects was was very much could it be tied to China, and if it is, is this a, an even increased threat beyond the first surveillance balloon? Do you think now that that President Biden came out, and from what I've read, this was part of his motivation in speaking to uh, the public today? Do you think now that he's come out, the temperature is dialed down a little bit on the issue? Well, I think, first of all, you just have to say that, you know, my initial reaction was very much like Kathleen's, I think very much like Christie's, which was kind of who knew that there was kind of this amount of activity going on in the in the skies uh, over uh, over our country. And and, you know, initially kind of enjoyed the kind of social media memes and the, and the late night comedy that was being, you know, uh, uh, part of the, the, the conversation. But then, but then you think, well, no, this is a very serious issue. Um, this is a big country. There are lots and lots of flights every day through our airspace. And we need, you know, we need to know um, kind of what's up there and, and whether or not any of it poses any kind of real uh, a hazard uh, to uh, to uh, commercial commercial airlines, which we all which we depend on. Um, so, you know, I think that's the kind of where we kind of set the table on this. I think the other issues with respect with respect to um, you know security, surveillance, all of those, um, you know, those are 
they, they really fall into two uh, kinds of uh, categories. One is kind of na a national security um, uh, uh, category, which of course we should all be concerned about. We should be uh, kind of well aware of, uh, of the fact that there are um, that that the world is still an adversarial place, and that there are still uh, countries out there who are doing surveillance uh, for their for their own purposes. And the other uh, uh, kind of bucket is, gee, it looks like there really needs to be some kind of a registration process, some kind of a, a of a tracking of what the legitimate kind of commercial. Um, uh, uh, right. Maybe even public service um, uh, uses of these uh, of these balloons are so that uh, at least somebody in government somewhere, hopefully in our security services, know uh, that this uh, that they're that they're there. Kathleen, last word to you. Do you think this changes the level of public cognizance, though, or, or, around those issues? I mean, talk about NORAD in the past. Most Canadians are like, oh, Santa. You know what I mean? It's not really mm -hmm. high on the list of, of concerns compared to a ton of domestic issues. Do you think this changes that? Absolutely. I think it raises the profile of the need for that um, international conversation, for sure. And to the point about whether um, Biden's comments cool the, the temperature, if this keeps happening, Vashi, the anxiety level will go up and people are going to want more information. And I, for one, pray that somebody has more information than we all have now. Yeah, me too. It'd be nice if they took some questions. The president did not today. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. Thanks for the discussion, as always. Uh, Christy Clark, Daryl Dexter, and Kathleen Wynne. It's time for today's takeaway. Before I get to that, though, I do want to make a quick note of congratulations to our competitors across the street at CBC who have named a new permanent host. I want to wish new power in politics host David Cochran the very best. He's a friend and a true professional, and he will be the greatest kind of competition. More people holding politicians to account in this country is a good thing for Canadians and all of us alike. So congratulations, David. And as promised, on to today's takeaway. It's all about what we were just talking about with the front bench, those three unidentified objects as of today, I guess you could say, unidentified objects that were shot out of the sky out of over North American, Canadian and American uh, airspace last weekend. Uh, the, the big question around were they tied to China, U.S. President Joe Biden answered today by saying, not likely. So why were they shot down by NORAD? The first time NORAD had done so was Saturday over the Yukon. I asked former uh, Deputy Commander of NORAD, former Chief of Defence Staff Tom Lawson, uh, why? Here's what he said. Yeah, I think so. So the precedent was set with the first one. Two, three, and four, um, you know, there's a little bit of concern that it may be tied to the same program. Don't really know. Now, more and more, it looks like these are North American provenance. That is former Chief of Defence Staff Tom Lawson. That does it for us at Power Play tonight. I'll hand things over to my colleague Molly Thomas. Have a great night.